0: The Spin is supported by NatWest. Why? Because NatWest loves cricket. The skills it teaches and the communities it creates and want it to be easy for everyone to get involved. To find out about how NatWest is helping make cricket open to all, search NatWest Cricket. It's The Spin!
1: I've been trying to find the words all morning. Australia have retained the ash tray. Australia have retained the ash... Dunkutcher. Australia retained the Ashton Underline? Yeah, it's no good. I I can't say it out loud. Maybe my guests can help me out. Comedian Steen Raskopoulos is Australian. He used to be in a team with David Warner, but no booing, please. We're we're all over that. Adam Collins is also Australian. The Australian press were invited down to the players' changing room after the game last night, and I haven't heard from him since, so I'm hoping he might have some gossip for us. Also from the press box, we have Crick buzz writer Vish Ehantaraja. He's written some brilliant pieces this summer and I know he will already have used these words. Australia have retained the ash Wednesday. I'm going to keep (laughs) practising. Australia have retained the ashes. England can level the series at the Oval later this week, but their hope of lifting the urn is gone. How did we get here? Just six weeks ago, we were top of the world. Only a fortnight ago, we were canonising Ben Stokes. And now we're talking about sacking Joe Root. Should we be surprised that the team with the world's best batsman and the world's best bowler beat a team containing Joe Denley and Craig Overton? Well, cricket's the real winner, right?
2: It's the spin!
1: I'm Emma John and this is The Spin, the cricket podcast that isn't quite ready to make jokes about England losing the Ashes urn yet. You'll have to give us a minute. I've set my field for today's show, although honestly, I don't know what the point is. Steve Smith's still going to reach the boundary. I'm in my habitual spot at Cow Corner, Adam's at Third Man, and we've run the changes for this episode and handed two new guests their caps. Vish is at Long On, and Steen is at Mid Off, and Michael Atherton, or at least my picture of him, is providing a much needed comforting presence at Fine Leg. Steen, we have heard that you are one of the nice Australians. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> good for all of us. Good for humanity. Is, is it true that you used to apologise to batsmen when you got them out?
3: Oh, very much so. But I used to have a, a younger, I still do have a sister at the time. She was just young at the time and she was the one that used to do the send-off as a four-year-old telling the, the kids who used to get out, like, where to go. And I was like, I'm <laughs> so sorry for my sister. Genuinely. And the headmaster was like, you need to take that girl <laughs>
4: off the field. That's the most Australian thing I've ever heard. And I grew up in Danny Nong.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and would you like to name drop a couple of the batsmen whose wickets you've taken?
3: Uh, I've bowled out Alistair Cook before when he was playing for Bedford College. Uh, I, I used to play cricket with Davy Warner for, and Greenshield and I bowled out Uzi as well. So I used to play yeah, back, back in the day when I was a, a young a young whippersnapper
1: you've got some I'm pretty saying. impressive test scalps right there yeah not too
3: bad specialists against
0: left handers as well I
3: know yeah mm-hmm. I used to be like uh, out swingers to the left hand like big, big in swingers to the right hand you don't so. get those anymore nowadays. do you no. Stuart
0: Broad has brought it back but mm. Steen you might be the next one
4: I feel oh. like we need to recruit him to the club next year ne- next year you've got to play for the cricket writers club oh sign me up I'll be keen yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well you know glad to be able to, to be a fixer in this room uh, the sledging in this series has been as poor as the top order batting although there was a good moment in Australia's first innings when uh, Marnus Labuschagne cut Craig Overton for four off what he thought was an in-swinging delivery uh, only for Overton to bowl him in his next over and tell him no that's the in-swing <laughs> uh, genuinely I think probably best sledge of the series uh, so the loosener today is what is your favourite sledge of all time Vish let's start with yours
0: um, my favourite sledge of all time is a fairly recent one. Uh, it came on Dale Stane's first uh, match in Australia and he was playing against Matthew Hayden and Justin Langer. I think Justin Langer was facing the first ball because Matthew Hayden used to do this thing where he would garden alongside the bowler as he was walking back. So he'd walk up and do a bit of gardening and as the bowler's walking back in his um, you know, back to his mark, he'd follow him back and have a few words and this was about the time that matthew hayden was getting really spiritual so he used to do this thing at the start of every day's play where he'd go out to the middle and just sit down with his shoes off cross-legged with his bat between his legs um, and just rest there and just visualize <laughs> the day going forward and as matthew is walking back with dale stane who's just bowled a wide uh, he goes oh what's the matter mate you nervous and dale stane without breaking stride simply goes I'm not the prick who was out here praying for runs this morning, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's when it peaks because you know we hear stories of um, sledges that the, you know they always put a bit of mayo on them, as um, Australians say, and I, I really like that one because it's probably the most recent one and they've all been pretty terrible since. Yeah, mm.
1: yeah, it's been very disappointing so far, this series. What about you? I mean, Steen, it sounds like you don't, you have never sledged anybody, no, clearly do, being a nice Australian. No, I do you not. Know,
3: like my, my, my uh, experience with sledging, I used to like private school cricket and they wouldn't let me Go outside to play for clubs and stuff until I was a bit older. So, all the sledges you would get are like, you know, the stumps are hungry. Let's give them a cherry. And I've seen, I've seen better swings in a playground. And my first game against uh, Warner, uh, we were playing against a rep team against each other in the, in the grand final. And then we played um, together a few weeks later. But I remember I late cutted him for four on his first ball. And he walked up to me and he, he threatened my life. <laughs> and it was like the biggest shock I've ever experienced. And you know what I did for the next five balls? Just, just offended him. Just, just <laughs> straight back. Doesn't sound like Dave. No, no.
1: <laughs> Adam, have you got any good ones?
4: Oh, well, I, I share Vish's view that most of them are rubbish and most of them are quite sweary, so you can't really relay them on this uh, PG podcast. But uh, look, Java, Meandad and Merv Hughes... Um, going pound for pound of me and dad saying that Hughes looked like a big fat bus conductor. Hughes getting him out and running down the pitch and saying, tickets please. That's quite good. <laughs> yeah. But probably my favourite growing up was when Shane Warne had the wood over Darryl Cullen and you might know because Warne talks about it on commentary every Does day. Does <laughs> uh, um, And in 1997, Shane Warne was having some well-documented problems with his waistline and um, when uh, Shane Warne is bowling to Cullinan for the first time in the series he says to the man he had the wood over four years earlier "Ah, I've been waiting four years for the chance to bowl to you again and Cullinan responds it looks like you've spent it eating (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but most of them dreadful
1: well on to the cricket And yes, Australia did indeed beat England by 185 runs at Old Trafford to go 2-1 up in a series. Yes, they did retain the Ashes they won on home soil 18 months ago. And no, Jack Leach and his magic spectacles did not work their spell this time. But it was still close. And if we're honest, closer than England deserved to get. They came within 82 balls of drawing the game, with the party stand at Old Trafford cheering every forward defensive Craig Overton played. But before we discuss the series as a whole, let's talk about that game. Australia led by 196 after both teams had had a bat. And Steve Smith had scored 211 on his own in the first inning. So that proves that he really is the difference between the two sides. He's had a year off to contemplate his return from suspension and a big point to prove. Is this the worst possible time to have come up against him?
0: Yes. It's funny. So uh, Collo's written about this before, but when Steve Smith was banned, Collo wrote about how he needed to just discover a bit more about life, maybe take a year, maybe take a gap year, the gap year that he'd never had. And instead he spent it batting. And clearly by doing that, he's just developed this even more insatiable hunger for runs, almost kind of a superhuman hunger for runs. And there was a point yesterday when he was, or or sorry, when he was batting for his for the the 80 to his lowest score of the series. There was a point where I was just like, I wanted to go up to him and be like, like, we get it. Like, it's, yeah, just go, go back to New York, go have that beer at the bar, you know, go to Chicago. Chicago is lovely this time of year as well. Just go and do other things. You've made your point, please. So then he's going to come back and score like 300. Oh, maybe, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, maybe get out of your system, get out of your system and then go. It's, yep. it's been kind of really impressive to see, actually, because I think his his suspension was massively over the top and... I think as a sport we're quite bad at this in terms of we get people young we throw them into high pressure situations and then we're surprised when they come out the other end broken as people and to see a kid even like you know you saw him celebrate yesterday and you see the way he carries on when he bats and he leaves he's still a kid and he'll still be a kid in 10 years time and it was nice to see him have this moment. Well, certainly I thought it was nice to see him have this moment and have this series after what he's been through.
1: It's kind of crazy to think back that we actually thought, well, England fans might have hoped and thought that he would be affected by the concussion that this might impact his batting or some way or, you know, it might, might make him more scared against Archer or whatever. None of these things have come to pass.
4: Yeah, because of the ridiculous process he goes through to prepare himself to bat in a test match. Uh, our colleague who's been on the spin barat for Sandra and watches him very closely in the nets whenever he's batting in the nets barat is there. And he, he everything we see on the field is replicated in practice. So the, the serious side of it is, is that Smith is built to be this way. He has been built from age 17 when they dragged him out of high school and his manager said... We want him now. He can make a million dollars a year. What's probably, probably in the end, a conservative estimate. makes a lot more money than that. But the point being is that he's been on this path for his whole adult life. So, yeah, when I was writing about that last year, Vish, to an extent I stand by it in that him having some broader perspective might help him in terms of the leadership he can offer for the side. But now stepping back from it a little bit, why would he want to be leading this side again? Why would you not just want Steve Smith to be the, freak that he is statistically and go on to be without a doubt the second most effective test batsman of all time He, he's already at that point but there's no reason why he can't go on to another level Tim Payne said yesterday that he reckons Smith's getting better and on the evidence we've seen in the last couple of weeks that, that stands to reason the fact that he's only 304 runs away from Bradman's tally of 974 in 1930 a mark that we never realistically thought could be matched and that he's only batted five times in the series I mean this, uh, it, uh, he, he probably will. Uh, who, who's to say he won't make a triple ton next week or over the course of two innings? Perhaps and it, it feels like it's in the you know it's written in the stars. It's just it's next level.
1: Does it make for a good spectacle, Steen I mean, you know, do Australians enjoy watching Steve Smith back Because I sure don't.
3: Uh, absolutely, <laughs> of course we do. Um, and you know, I think he's just a joy to watch. He's, he's so unorthodox that, he, you know, he slap shots and he like there's a, you can't. I don't think you can teach kids how he bats. He bats on instinct, which is very rare, I think. I don't think Um, you
1: would teach kids how he bats. No. I mean, it doesn't look right.
3: Yeah. But I I just like in saying what you were saying before about him being a kid. Like, he, after he got his double century, like, how would you celebrate? He's like, oh, I just had a block of chocolate in my room. That's what I do every night to reward myself.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look, there's that, that side to him, certainly. But... Michael Vorma saying during the week there is an artistry to it as well which I think we can't kind of lose in the ostentatious quirky way that his mannerisms and all the rest of it this is something that he is doing knowing full well that he will be mocked mercilessly Mm. but he doesn't care because all he cares about is remaining out in the middle as long as he can he's gone away and like how can I go to the next level. How can I train my brain to have the ability to concentrate in that weight for longer? He's a marvel in that respect too. So yeah, look, a year off from cricket, certainly wouldn't wish it upon anyone what he went through at the time because that was most humiliating. It'll always be the first or second line in any profile written about mm-hmm. him. But it might mean in the longer term, he ends up being a more effective cricketer.
1: That's interesting because the quirks, I think even at Old Trafford, have got so much larger and more exaggerated. And, and I wonder if there's a point at which that becomes detrimental. I mean, they're, they're genuinely points in this test where he there was a point where he kind of did his leave and then he he pranced away from the stumps like a kind of dressage pony and then there was another one where he i think he went to kind of run down the pitch and he he did that uh sideways step that fencers do
2: (laughs) he kind of did that little
1: uh i don't know what that name there's probably a technical name for it some kind of French technical name but do you enjoy those kind
3: of quirks oh, 100% and now I've started to see more and more people like take it into their everyday occurrence like my friend Andy Lee he filmed an Instagram video of him at the um, bag carousel and his bag didn't turn up so he did like a Steve Smith leave like, waiting, <laughs> waiting for his bag I think it could be like a, a social trend worldwide we need to kind of get the new
0: generation into cricket so it might be like the Steve Smith challenge you know like we had the ice bucket challenge like, a couple of years ago. get kids little kids like prawn around like fawns doing a bit of mock fencing
4: I, I, I do think it's going to become part of the conversation though look look at the way martin slabishane bats joffre archer but joffre archer I was, watch, watching, oh, I was watching so joffre good. with vision and Annette the other week before the where were we headingly headingly and archer genuinely now has started batting like stephen smith he hasn't done it in a game yet but he's practicing Knowing Joffre, who knows on what basis, but I wouldn't rule it out, him walking out and starting to do it as well. Even down to the two um, knee bends that Smith does before the bowler reaches the crease. Marnus Labashain is now batting like Stephen Smith because, and Vish has written about this exhaustively, he wants to be him. So he's like, well, if I want to be like him, then want to make those runs, I'll just bat like he does. I'll I'll control the controllables.
0: Yeah, so um, coming onto this tour, um, Marnus Labashain is... um, He's a a massive cricket badger. He has the same love of the game as Steve Smith, probably to a detriment, but it's so far serving him well. And he wanted to be like Steve Smith so much that he asked Smith for three of his bats. Hmm. And Smith said he would give him his three bats, provided that at the end of every game, he would pack up his back. And (laughs) Marnus said yes, not realising that halfway through the Lord's Test, or rather on the final day of the Lord's Test, Justin Lange will come up to him and say, OK, so today you'll be playing the part of Steve Smith. Go out there and be Steve Smith, and lo and behold, he has since. Yeah.
1: I wonder if he minus also now has incorporated the dairy milk into his routine, and now treats himself with with a chocolate bar. I love the fact that you know the thing that kids are going to learn from this summer of cricket is you know since Stokes fueled himself on Yorkies and Steve (laughs) Smith (laughs) treats himself with the dairy milk. Kids, go out, eat your chocolate, and you'll become a great athlete. (laughs) I felt like there were plenty of points in this test that you could point to as a moment England really kind of lost hold of the end. But I would nominate their absolutely dreadful session on Thursday afternoon when Jack Leach had Smith caught off a noble and Tim Payne was dropped twice. Did parts of this test remind anyone else of the
4: 90s? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Barney Rone wrote a column in the paper about this very thing, and of course you've written a book about it then. The, the England in the 90s was summed up by the wicket off the no ball, the drop catch, the the injury where the, where the all-rounder Ben Stokes had to go off with the bung shoulder, um, the prolific amount of runs that were scored in the session. It was, it was very 90s-esque, wasn't it? it? It was the one time in the series where England looked completely out of sorts. They've always managed to kind of stick with Australia or even with the exception of the final day at Baston, it was always push and pull. That's why it felt a little bit like 2005 if you squinted at it for long enough. But that was the day it stopped feeling that way. Uh, <laughs> when, when Smith went, right, okay, I'm going to make sure I bat all day and completely ruin it. Mm.
1: David Warner was out for his third consecutive duck.
0: You, hate, you hate to see it, don't you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a little, <laughs> a
0: little moment? <laughs> I say that because you've mentioned the night is there because that's what that's all we had to hold on to back in the 90s of like yeah but he didn't get any runs yeah, that one player over there didn't get any runs did he I wonder what he's thinking now covered in beer and champagne singing the team songs at 3am is he happy though and I think he is probably <laughs> is, yeah. probably over the moon he had a grinding
4: world cup as well didn't he yeah.
1: he's the first Australian opener to bag a pair in a test in 25
4: years since Mark Taylor on his uh, uh, captaincy debut in Pakistan so it goes back a really long way the Warner's a funny one isn't he uh, In well for, for for a range of reasons, but not least the fact that talking to him last week, he didn't feel as though he was batting that poorly. The, the 61 he made at Leeds was a high quality innings on the basis that he did bat in a way that limited risk with Broad moving the ball around under lights it was such a great spell and managed to not follow the ball with his gloves and he was proud of himself and thought that he was going to come here and and bash the doors down and as is the lot in life of an opener out of form he gets two good nuts and well sorry one good nut in the second innings the first innings it was a you know it was it was indecision from Warner and that's probably not a descriptor that you've ever heard about Warner in any facet of his life is indecision he
3: threatened your life have you
1: been (laughs) celebrating his
3: ducks? (laughs) oh no not at all like he was a teammate like for, for a good five games before you had to go play for the state squad and when you're playing with him on your team he's like the nicest dude and um, I remember we played Union New South Wales in our first Green Shield game we scored 500 he got like 160 I like, think <laughs> 70 balls and the UNSW ground was like the, the had one of the straightest boundaries at the time and I remember in the warm up like hey you won't hit a straight six and if you do I'll buy you a killer python and a Gatorade from the so it's like a, a jelly snake and a sports drink. I, I was going to say <laughs> yeah, what is yeah. a killer python? I <laughs> oh, I know Yeah,
0: you never know in Australia it might actually be a python
3: <laughs> <isn't it>? yeah <laughs> but in the first over he you know like cleared he cleared the whole sight screen and I remember he just like walked up tapped the pitch with his bat and just looked up and came back like, yeah I gotta got buy, got buy you a, a snack now so um, but yeah but of course like you want him you, you don't want to see anyone do poorly in, in Supporting your country
1: Yeah Stuart Broad's been His main nemesis Going out six times In eight innings
4: Yeah and Broad Has deserved that success I think Andy Zaltzman Pointed out that Broad's taken ten wickets in the first ten overs during this series, which is an equal record or something like that. So Broad, you know, has made it life very difficult for Warner since bowling fuller and going around the wicket to him and, and, and angling it. Well, I guess shaping it away after angling it in. It's it's superb fast bowling. This must be the best Broad's ever bowled mm. in a sustained period of time with the new ball. And Warner's been on the, the receiving end of that, but I don't expect it'll change his disposition. Yes, Warner will know that you know people are are talking about his spot, and yes, he's always going to be that villain figure in this part of the world but who would back against him walking out at the Oval next week and going big as Justin Langer observed last week, the players of his quality, and let's remember, David Warner made it to 20 Test Tons quicker than Viv Richards did. So, you know, mm-hmm. this is a serious generational player. Yes, he's in bad nick, and yes, there's a a bad run of form. But, you know, let's remember, Greg Chappell made four Ducks in a row in 1981-82, and he's one of Australia's greatest ever players. So it just happens sometimes. So runs at the Oval, surely they'll come. Well,
1: yeah. we can't ignore the fact that Joe Roop has also been over a Duck three times this series.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's having quite an interesting series, is Joe Roop. I I don't think I've seen any attack bowl as well to him as this Australian side. To the extent that when Pat Cummins was running in to deliver that final ball, that ball that should be kind of put in a museum, it was that good. You <laughs> just thought something's going to happen here because they've just got it absolutely right. And it's a credit to the bowlers and I suppose lesser criticism of Joe Root because I think, you know, Australia have always talked about going for the, the head of the snake and that's always been the captain. especially The head
1: of the killer python.
0: Sorry, the heading the go there. She alright? Actually, it's been, been a bit more like a killer python because you can just pull it right off. Can't you? <laughs> Joe's actually played quite well. Actually, I, I think he's only averaging thirty, which for someone of his class is far too low. But you know, very good innings at Headingley, he looked pretty solid in the first innings here at um, in Manchester, and then when it's mattered, they've just had his number. And it's easy to like, from an English fan's perspective, to laugh at David Warner, but then you kind of look at your own team and you're like so <laughs> uh, yeah it's not been pretty viewing
1: I was following the final day's play from a field in Leicestershire with absolutely zero reception so I was very occasionally managing to stumble into a patch of 3G and get an update on the score and I've got to say from a field in Leicestershire it never to me felt like England were remotely going to get close to drawing that test but what did it feel like for you guys, Vish and Adam, you were there. Steam, you were following on TV, radio?
3: TV, yeah. But same thing, like, in terms of superstition. Every time I was watching the game, no wickets were going. And then I'd, I'd turn it off, and then you'd just check on Twitter. It's like, they got a wiki. Like, oh, I can't really watch this, and, but I want to. But.
0: Yeah, the superstition element is funny because... Um, I don't have a problem with journos wanting a team to win because when you do this job for long enough the best team to deal with is a winning team and it does make your job a bit easier and things like access and the reason that we can do our jobs so well when they do badly is because we're there when they do well because you get to know Mm. situations and tactics and what people are trying to do when it comes off and what happens when it doesn't Um, so you do get to situations where some people go for cigarette breaks because they take wickets some people will stay in the same spot as people do in the changing room because that's the way to ensure that you don't lose wickets. During the Edgbaston test, when I'd written, sorry, during the um, Headingley test on the day the bench Stokes had hit the I'd written about how England needed wholesale changes, this, that and the other. As soon as they got within 20 runs, I rewrote my intro and then I control Z. All the way back to my original <laughs> intro because I didn't want to be the one that ruined it. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so there was definitely a little they, bit.
1: I mean, the ECB would have come for you, Vince. They would have done. Yeah,
0: yeah. I would have, you know, automatically twenty-one day ban for Jinxie, so, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but something about yesterday was just felt like a bridge too far. England have had two miracles already this summer. I don't think you get a third. You don't get th- that many in a lifetime, do you? And yeah, it, it just felt that you can't even kind of emotionally. I didn't really want them to do it because I was like how do you how do you go to the well that often and what does it leave you with at the end I mean there'll be I I wouldn't be surprised if they get absolutely tonked at the oval because they just have nothing left the urn's gone they've (laughs) had to dug deep too many times and uh, yeah, it's going to take its toll, isn't it?
4: I, I sort of see where you're coming from, Vish, about writing a copy and then rewriting and so forth. Like, I got into a real deep dive on Cardiff 2009 yesterday, that famous Panesar Anderson inspired draw. The fact that Ricky Ponting was floating around doing his media commitments with Sky um, helped with that just having his presence around and, you know, reading back through a book that was written about that and then the Whitewash to Whitewash our colleague Dan Bredig wrote um, and, and reading about how Ricky Ponsing at the time uh, viewed that as the perfect test match with the exception of one wicket and it felt like that in the, had Australia not won it's hard to point at the bowlers or point at the batsmen or point at Stephen Smith like they, they did everything as they really needed to do to set up the, the pins and to sort of knock them down or blow them down really after Patrick Cummins um, made the incision the night before so I didn't quite get to the stage of writing it up, but I, I definitely was reading for about 45 minutes about that great escape from England and thinking if they pull it off again. What I did do at the tea break, I know what is about to say, is I did play the great escape very loudly in the press box on my computer. Um, not because I was being, you know, un-Australian, but, but simply that it would have been really funny. It would have yeah. been... If, if England hung on and we had the, the grandstand finish at the Oval next week, it would have been most amusing because England aren't very good. Yeah. But um, it wasn't to be. And
1: it would have made a, another... Cult folk hero of Craig Overton this time, <laughs> who to be honest, I sort of wanted to ask you guys why he was in the side. I mean, it wasn't for his batting.
0: No, no, it wasn't. But it never is with England's. But you know, England's batsmen aren't in there for their batting. And why should their bowlers? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was. It was a strange selection. They obviously thought that Wokes, who's had quite a big summer, needed the the test stuff, and not just for a rest. Was bowling below his best. Is he
1: supposed to actually be injured? We've had no official word on that. I
0: suppose he's not injured because I I fully expect him to play at the Oval. He's definitely not injured, but he's just, I think he had so many overs in the legs that they just thought they're not going to be able to get enough out of him over the course of a test to make it worthwhile and probably maybe do him some longer term damage. Bear in mind, he does have a chronic knee issue that... He needs kind of constant assessment for something like every day, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and he played all the way through the World Cup. He played Tests at the beginning. And I, I think they, you know, they took the sensible assessment that they needed to pull him out of the firing line. And then they picked Craig Overton as someone who was taller, who they thought would get a bit more bounce. Um, you know, he bowled a few good deliveries, bought a very yeah. good ball to manus Labshane as well. Um, I thought... They should have just gone with Sam Curran. I think if you saw what he did last year, and he's even just kind of an untangible quality of this, but he he does make stuff happen because being left arm and because he has no fear with his batting, but still bats in a technically correct way. I think you get two different sides of him that you don't necessarily get with Craig. Uh, and I think it would have been interesting to see how Steve Smith would have played. Someone like Sam Curran, who's going to angle the ball across him more Get it darting back in, because, as we saw with Coley last year and you know some other really accomplished Indian top order players, he caused some problems um but yeah I, I thought yeah, there was an element of when leach and Overton were out there that we were going to have an, you know another set of cult heroes, and I thought it was very funny when both leach and Overton got hit, and the team doctor came out yeah, it was a massive throwback to two thousand and nine oh, yeah. in Cardiff and then flanked by four other you know, members of the backroom staff. I say members of the backroom staff. They were Chris Wokes and Sam Curran as the 12th men, as it were, and just two kids in England whites who I think were mascots holding up the uh, flags at the start of play. And then on the sky cameras, they pan straight to Ricky Ponting
4: in the, um,
0: in the commentary <laughs> box and he's just shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs>
4: reliving, reliving it all again 10 years later. How funny was we, we, were, in, we were right in front of where Wokes was. Wokes was laughing the whole way off the field. Yeah. He, was, he was crawling off the field. He was, and even the way that Stuart Broad took five minutes to walk out to the middle. He waited two minutes after the drinks break had come to a conclusion so he wouldn't be timed out. <laughs> what I would have loved to have seen is what stunt would have Stuart Broad pulled had that extended for another half an hour. What would have we, would have he bashed his head against the ground to have concussed himself and sound current to come out there? Like what what would have brought he would have done something. There's I, no way an ideas man like Stuart Broad couldn't have tried something at the death to have dragged it out. I'm really disappointed
0: he didn't come out in a pair of glasses. Oh that would
4: have been so good.
0: <laughs> That would have been piece to resistance on what has been an incredible series for Stuart oh, Broad. Dave Tickner on the uh, on Twitter was the first to come out with this. It would been would have been a perfect end to uh Well, I suppose the cherry on top of broad series so far. Mm.
1: It's raining in Manchester today, by the way. Where was that when England (laughs) needed it? This series isn't over and England can still level up to all at the Oval, but Australia get to keep the urn and honestly, nothing, as we've discussed, reminds me more of the bad old days of the 90s, like a meaningless wing at the Oval. So let's try and answer some of the bigger questions. I can't really ask this to the Australians in the room, so I can only ask it to you, (laughs) Vish. And um, I think I've got my own answer to this. Was it worth sacrificing the Ashes to win the World Cup?
0: Oh, God. I was going to write about this because I, I don't really know and I hope people would tell me. So I hope you tell me because I don't think headingly happens without the World Cup final. One particular thing doesn't happen. When Stokes bunts away that full toss from Tremboa and they get a single instead of Stokes flaying it over the boundary, he was livid with himself. He volleyed, he literally volleyed his bat afterwards and um, because of that, he said that when he was playing at Headingley, he thought he had to keep hitting sixes because he second-guessed himself already once that summer and he nearly costing England the game because hmm. England could have gone on and quite easily lost that super over. And so I don't think he, not only having dealt with that pressure of that situation, but also the way he was hitting those sixes, I don't think he does that without having been burned before. The bigger question, I suppose, about four years of prep towards a World Cup and then barely four weeks of prep before the Ashes, it's not ideal. I don't think there's any long-term damage because of it. I think the long-term boom because of the World Cup, because it was on free-to-air TV, because it really did get a whole nation wrapped up in it. Seeing the scenes in Trafalgar Square, I didn't think I'd see them in my lifetime. And I mean, I've lived quite poorly for the last summer, so who knows how long that's going to last? But I like to think I had a few more years. But even <laughs> I thought, even I thought we wouldn't see those scenes like that, where it was it was like football, F- cricket became football, and even at Headingley, it became football once more. I think the long-term boom of that is probably worth it for the short-term pain of losing the Ashes, because I think with the new coach coming in, with you know some introspection coming up in the next month or so, within the ECB, I think, I think it would have been worth it.
1: I don't mind the
4: sacrifice.
1: I just wish it hadn't been such a messy, bloody one. Has it been bloody? It's felt pretty
0: bloody to me. <laughs> uh,
4: well, <laughs> maybe, but it's yeah. all about expectations, isn't it? I, I don't think it has been bloody. I mean, I think that... Had Australia won the World Cup, it would have been thoroughly unexpected and it would have been a complete bonus. They were planning for this Ashes series for two years, um, well before the Sandpaper Farrago and they nailed it. So on that basis, they deserve to win the Ashes. But at different parts of the cycle, different countries have more of a focus on that compared to other parts of their international offering. Australia lost in England in 2005, a year after the final frontier, winning in India, which had they've been denied since 1969. So different things focus, different countries, different periods of time. The World Cup absolutely was worth any sacrifice mm. in this country for mine. Being an, as, an Australian living in London and seeing the way the game is marginalised here far too often, the phenomenon Vicious talking about with cricket becoming footy for a while, that was awesome. And let's hope it can happen again. But if England capitulate in the World Cup semi-final to Australia, let's go back to um, back to Edgebaston there. If England have a bad day then and Australia make the World Cup final and win the thing, cricket in this country doesn't get that burst. And if England go on and win the Ashes after that, well... It's neither here nor there. It's expected on home soil, given how they've toyed with Australia here for the last 18 years. So I absolutely think that you should, even though it's going to end poorly and probably will end with a a 3-1 Ashes loss, I'd imagine, let's remember that going well into the future, 2019 will be remembered for one thing, the World Cup.
1: Still to come, we'll look at the four teams who've made the T20 finals day. But first, it's time we took a quick drinks break. And talking of drinks, did you hear about the Australian journalist who paid almost £100,000 for a bottle of beer in Manchester? Peter Lawler of the Australian is the journalist in question, and he's currently driving back from Old Trafford, but he's on the phone. What happened, Peter?
2: I'm hitchhiking back, I couldn't afford to hire a car. <laughs> um, yeah, what happened? God, that's what my wife's asking when she rang the next morning. Well, I don't know, I just ordered a beer, there was some confusion with the point of sale. I didn't have my glasses on, so I just punched in my pin code, and had this curious feeling, and I said, uh, how much did I just pay for that beer out of interest? And uh, the barmaid was rather hesitant to inform me when she saw the amount, but I could see from the shop look on her face that it was a significant amount. And I thought, ah, oh, I've been charged, you know, 15 quid instead of five or 50 quid instead of five. But no, nope, no, nope, i had been charged 55,000 pounds for the beer. Anyway, you'd think that just can't happen. And they put a, a refund through immediately. And I was pretty, I thought, Okay, no bank's going to let that much money go out of your account overnight. But uh, the phone was ringing in the morning, and as I said, my wife was saying, what? Did you do last
4: night?
2: Did you have some fun? I mean, kind of an awkward conversation. It was one beer,
4: Dale. On it. Pete, you're the uh, beer editor for the Australian newspaper as well, your other, your other job. What's the most expensive beer that Thanks you've seen? Thanks for using my correct title, mate. <laughs> the most expensive beer. What's the most expensive uh, beer you've come across until now? Yeah, well, I've
2: seen uh, 80 $90 beer uh, stouts. There's a nail out in Australia, it's excellent. It's about $90, but I've never paid for it. I've always let someone else buy that. I'm a cheapskate.
1: Was this beer worth (laughs) £50,000?
2: Is that a serious question? (laughs) 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 If it it came with a house and a
3: car, it wouldn't be
2: worth that much money. (laughs) No, it was a solid IPA from Scotland. I actually thought it was an English beer. I made a bit of a mistake there. It was Scottish, but uh, yeah, an IPA wasn't too bad.
1: (laughs) Um, as you can imagine, we have spent quite a bit of time discussing where England went wrong, but uh, we should point out that Australia has the number one batsman and bowler in the world rankings and Tim Payne could become the first Australian captain to win a series in England since 2001. So, Peter, how do you assess Australia's performance in this series?
2: Yeah, the Tim Payne thing, I think, is significant. It's a significant achievement for us. So what is a very sort of understated, modest captain... And I think you could probably label him an accidental captain. Two years ago, he was about to take up a job with Kookaburra, the sports manufacturers, and quit cricket. But he was convinced to play one more season. And and I think... You'd know this better than me, Colo. I think the last first-class game he played before he got picked, he wasn't even a wicketkeeper. He stood in slip. He did. He stood in slip and managed to make higher than Matthew
4: Wade in the batting order, which enabled him to make 70 at the best possible time. Wade didn't get to bat later that afternoon. Lo and behold, Tim Payne's in the test team. It's a ridiculous story. I mean, there'll have to be a book written about it. And that was a fairy tale, wasn't it? Just him yeah. being in the site and yeah. we found out that afternoon that he was going to play for Australia. I mean, there's going to have to be a book written about him. And, Pete, you'll be front and centre to do it with him, no doubt. I mean, can you commit to doing that? <laughs> um, anyway. <so laughs> six You've already locked it way, away, have you? He's the captain
2: of Australia. And a year later, England will remember the team that he brought over here 12 months ago that just got what. So it's a great story, Payne. What's it down to? It's down to great bowling plans, I think. And then there's Smith. I mean, Smith. Smith's the difference between the two teams. Joe Root said that, didn't
1: he? Thank you so much, Peter. It's been it's been lovely to talk to you. Um, I, I'd say we'd take you out for a beer when you get down to London, but I'm not sure we can afford it.
2: <laughs> I get PTSD when anyone mentions <laughs> beer now. But anyway, thank you.
1: <laughs> See you soon.
2: Cheers, bye.
4: When Utoxeter Cricket Club had to leave their beloved grounds of 60 years, it looked like it might be the end for the area's only club. Enter NatWest Cricket Force, an initiative created to support community clubs across the country. They help them make a new home in a former cricket ground, breathing new life into the space and the team. Why? Because NatWest believes cricket should be easy for everyone to play. It's paired up with the Guardian Labs to tell more stories about experiences like these. Read them at theguardian.com forward slash natwest dash cricket. This message was paid for by NatWest.
0: It's The Spin!
1: This is The Spin, the Guardian cricket podcast that's just snipped out for a Yorkie, a bar of dairy milk and a killer python. Vish, Adam and Steen are my guests and we're going to have a little chat about the Vitality T20 Blast. Earlier this summer, Moeen Ali was in the England team. Earlier this year, Alex Hales was in the England team. Earlier this decade... Ravi Papara was in the England team what do they all have in common wish you just sighed at the yeah. thought of Ravi Papara being in the England team
0: no I just miss it <laughs> I miss those times
1: uh, well they've all put in star performances to get their teams to T20 finals day perhaps the most impressive was Moeen's 121 not out from 60 balls which included 11 sixes he also took one for 22 and opened the bowling so the full lineup for finals day at Edgbaston is Worcestershire Rapids the defending champions, Knotts Outlaws, Essex Eagles and Derbyshire Falcons. Is it a shame that the four quarterfinals were scheduled for the four evenings of the Old Trafford Test match, do you think, Vish? Uh,
0: No, I think it's just getting people prepped for the excitement of the 100 next year, which will be played alongside Test cricket as well. Um, Yeah, yeah, I I suppose it would have been a shame, but I think Sky probably played it quite well, actually, as did the BBC in terms of throwing to the games right afterwards. They did what they could to ensure they didn't clash and there would have been less crossover had we not had the rain at the start of the test that ended up ensuring that we had late starts all the way through. They do it in Australia quite well as well with the BBL, they ensure that the BBL starts after tests. And I think if we if we want to be proud about cricket and if we want to shout about it from the rooftops and if we want it played in the, at the best times and we need to be quite amenable with that kind of stuff. So I don't think it was bad per se um, conversely you know it would have been cool if i suppose the players that might have been available for their respective clubs were allowed to play that all you know we got the full gamut of internationals playing english internationals specifically playing in those uh, games but i think it worked out we had some very entertaining games you mentioned that um, moan alley and links for worcestershire i was absolutely fascinated by the the narrative dripping off um, nottinghamshire and middlesex's game because that was the first time i think In fact, I'm pretty sure it was the first time that Alex Hales and Owen Morgan had met since Hales was dropped from the World Cup squad. He obviously met up with the squad for the weekend they had. Um, They had a training camp weekend at St George's Park, um, but they hadn't met. I'm not sure they'd even spoken since. And then Alex Hales... Motivated, um, yeah, beyond belief. Uh, wins the game for the for Nottinghamshire single-handedly. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, Morgan did his best to try and keep Middlesex in that in the hunt, didn't he?
0: He did. Yeah, yeah. He play, I don't have the scores in front of me, but yeah, he played. He's been unreal. Actually, mm. I wondered after the World Cup if Morgan would walk away because I just thought, how do you top that high? And obviously, there's a World T Twenty next year, but he's never really saved his best performances for Middlesex. Um, and you kind of you've always wondered privately, maybe because you couldn't really have any real evidence for it but you wondered if maybe it was a little bit beneath him and you wondered if he found it hard to get himself up for those kind of games and then he'd come back and he's just one of a better phrase he's chinned it hasn't he he's just done (laughs) absolutely unbelievably so Um, and and the high of the World Cup final has just ticked him over into another gear and it'll be interesting to see how he um, does on the winter tours England play five T20s in New Zealand and he'll you know he will be there for all of them and yeah I wonder if we've um, we've suddenly got like a, a new Owen Morgan
4: four more years four <laughs> more years uh, i just pick up on a couple of those points first of all isn't it great with the blast that teams that sort of battle in Division 2 of the county championship can often end up in finals day which is such a great part of the cricketing calendar here Derbyshire um, we saw them trounced by Australia admittedly at sort of a Derbyshire A side two weeks ago but they must be the, the sort of the least glamorous county going around Northamptonshire of course won at what Two summers ago, North yeah, they, one. yeah, they, they'd 2016, twenty sixteen. I reckon yeah, they won it. Yeah. So even so, they've been at finals day consistently. so I think it's a nice leveling um, uh, element to the domestic game over here. And, and I can't um, let the Ravi Papara um, conversation point go without noting that um, Vish and I, as you can probably tell, spend a lot of time together. Whenever Ravi likes one of Vish's tweets, and it happens from time to time, I never seem happier. This is, this, is, this is what this is what swells his heart. Oh man, so, you
3: wait till I retweet one of your tweets. Yes, it? <laughs> here we go. Here we go.
0: Fight for my affection I like
1: it <laughs> I'm feeling less positive about that because you know obviously his performance for Essex did knock Lancashire out and um, and I actually witnessed a little boy crying because of that Aww. at the end of it was, it was straight after the uh, Liam Livingston bowled the penultimate mm. over of leg spin that went for 22 what was he doing there yeah, by what, the what was he bowling <laughs> nobody seems no, to uh, know Saki
0: Mahmood had overs yeah. Matt Parkinson who's taken I've had it written down here he's been one of the stars of the tournament I think Maxi had, had an over leg. as well did me. Yeah, yeah, Glenn I yeah. uh, Just
1: it was apparently a hunch. <laughs> it was one of those hunches. It turned out to mm. be very wrong. When wow. you've got 23 runs needed by the opposition and you give away 22 of them. So that's
0: the thing. Ravi Bapara makes you do funny things.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he made my friend's son cry. Yeah, okay. So yeah. you know, <laughs> he's not all good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've just heard that England have announced their squad for the Oval and it's unchanged. So, chance for everybody to redeem themselves.
0: If it ain't broke, don't... Oh... (laughs) Um, no, it is, it is broke. That's <laughs> what it is. Uh, can still draw the ashes, though. We've drawn the World Cup final. We're going to draw the ashes as well.
4: It's normally the most, like, the, the, the nicest word in the cricket lexicon, isn't it? Unchanged. It, sort of, it sort of gives the impression of stability and strength. <laughs> it does, yeah. <laughs> not, not so much this it's time.
0: A, it's a bit like when, um, and color, this is from your previous life as well, but you know, when someone loses an action and they get the whole family out to stand mm. on the stage, it's like, we might have lost a vote, but we haven't lost our families, have we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose it's because of the short turnaround, isn't it? I think you kind of don't want to get anyone else burned by what they others have been through. It's only but the Oval Test starts on Thursday. They would have got to London today, I think. They're training tomorrow on Tuesday, which is optional as well. Um, I don't think they need the training. But yeah, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? You know, just finish the series, have a bit of a laugh...
1: Yeah, just let's change the batting order last day, a little last, bit.
0: Last day of term, isn't it? Bring your own clothes, bring in your favourite toys. <laughs> Don't
4: forget the World Test Championship. <laughs> oh, there there? There are that, points to play for. Yeah. Remember that last week Stuart Broad told us before the Old Trafford Test... As he smirked and laughed at us, he goes, Well, the Ashes aren't the pinnacle of the cycle anymore. That's the World Test Championship. Even he knew he was having us on. But it's not for nothing that they I don't know what the equation is. 160 divided by five equals whatever this game is worth this week on that prestigious table. I'm sure we'll care more about that in a few years' time. But hey, it's a thing. It's yeah. a thing. It's not well, quite a dead rubber.
0: Well, when Tim Payne got dropped um, he, by Sam Carr, and someone did turn to him and say, You've just dropped the 20 points for the World Test Championship. <laughs> <laughs> Rough maths, there. But yeah.
1: It is really easy to be glum if you're an England fan today, but things aren't all bad. So I would like something from each of you that England can be positive about and then I will write them down and um, probably pin them up on my wall. Um, Steen, have you got anything that England can be cheerful about right now?
3: I think just the way the game's been played and how exciting the actual test matches have been, I think it's just really kind of refocused. Like, test match cricket is the best format of cricket to watch when it's obviously, uh, you know, we've been very sport these past few, few games and just walking down the street and, like, through the parks, there's, like, more kids playing cricket. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, summer's like, still going and, like, there's still this vibe from the World Cup and now like the, the test matches have been so close it's like the passion this, like the for the people has been good it's like just you know I live in London now it's just good to, to see and I do love Australia but I loved seeing Stokes play that way and make the actual series interesting mm. oh, was that's, like a,
1: that's something that Australians always say I just like to see a good series I just like to see a tight contest it's easy for you to say
4: <laughs> Yeah well, it might sound patronising but that reflects when Steen and I grew up we grew up when it was routine to do this so look I think there is an element of like the Ben Stokes miracle gave us the old Trafford kind of weird few days. And look, who, who doesn't want anything more than a few weird days in Manchester? But as far as <laughs> as far as the you know, the positive to take from it, is it possible Stuart Broad's going to be playing in four years' time? Like mm. he's totally reinvented himself. He's run up shorter, more dynamic. Um, he's more is fuller more consistent and still bowling at the same pace injuries notwithstanding um, look he's 32 years old now Vish I reckon I want, I want to say 33 maybe I don't know either way who knows maybe if Anderson does elect to end his career sooner rather than later Broad could be the attack leader for, for a four year Ashes cycle and, and still be knocking around with 650-700 test wickets he could get there you know
1: Bish, can you maybe
4: that's time? a bit too many. Maybe 550 to 600, but you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll
3: take 650, to 700. Vish, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: give me something to look forward to today.
0: I wasn't sure, actually, when you were going around the table, but I might just piggyback off Steen's answer. There, was, there were people playing cricket at Manchester Piccadilly Station yesterday mm-hmm. at 9pm. There were people playing in the concourses at Cricket Grounds, as you've seen before, but definitely I've noticed cricket has taken over I certainly the English conscience, but also like English spaces in quite a real way. Phil Walker, um, of the the editor of um, Wisdom Cricket Magazine, um, is a huge Spurs fan and he left the pub he was at when Jack Leach walked out with Ben Stokes at Headingley. And by the time he got to um, Spurs' his uh, stadium every single tv on the concourse was switched to the cricket hmm. and as as a avid football fan i you know i've always kind of held cricket as a bit of a you know like a secret crush you know like something that i indulge in on the side but i you know i'll never bring it out in public and to see so many people, Laps fans, people who weren't interested in the game before, to see them being caught up in not just the World Cup final because you know everything's there for it, you know it's a final, you know World Cup. We do that quite well in this country. We support English teams but to see something so specific as an Ashes and for everyone to understand in that moment how important that was for, for the series and also appreciate that cricket isn't a rubbish sport and that it is exciting and that test cricket isn't a rubbish sport and it is exciting. You know, we always make excuses about the sport and we always have so many stupid rules and this, that and the other and to see the whole country get swept up in it is... Um, I think there there is something something more concrete that feels more permanent than just flicking on and just thinking oh I'll watch England win at anything yeah this was this felt proper and I think in a few years time we'll still be well I'd say in 10 years time it would still have that residual effect because it has been one hell of a summer yeah
1: well that is definitely the right place for us to finish thank you to my guests Vish Ahantaraja Adam Collins and Steen Raskopoulos That may be it for England's hope of winning the Ashes, but here at The Spin, we'll keep going until Murray Erasmus walks into the studio and flicks the bales off our tabletop game of test match. There's still plenty more to come from us, including our preview of the fifth and final test at the Oval, featuring the legend that is David Gower. Until then, I'll just remind you one more time that England won the World Cup. Goodbye.
3: The spin is supported by NatWest. To find out
0: about how NatWest is making it easier for everyone to get involved in cricket, search NatWest Cricket.